Welcome to Next Gen Movement, our sole mission to empower tomorrow's leaders by harnessing and unleashing collective wisdom, lessons and experiences of thought leaders within the community. We have the fabulous JT McCormick on the show with us today. Um, super excited. JT, you and I have had a couple conversations on the phone. Toph, you've obviously, you know JT. And for those that don't know you, you're a businessman father of four, a husband and CEO of Scribe Media, which is a disruptor, as I understand, in the publishing space. So we are so grateful and honored to have you on our show, JT. We really want to deep dive with you. I've listened to your conversation with Mark, and I just, I really love your energy, dude. And um, yeah, we're just super happy to have you on the show. I appreciate that, guys. <laughs> I'm, uh, especially, we got to do Tope's book. So that, that was awesome. You're, gonna, you're yeah. gonna be doing all of our books soon. Don't worry about nice. that. Nice, <laughs> nice. So there, there's something that I, I wanted to just quickly jump into, JT. And I think it's a bit controversial, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Oh man, here we go. On, on, on your website, uh, there's, a, there's a line there that you used in a speech. It says, I'm not a drug dealer, I'm not a rapper, I'm not an athlete but I'm very successful. And my take on that is, as an American, I grew up in America, although I live in Australia, is that sometimes as a minority, the perspective is, especially as an African American, the perspective is, is that entertainment and sport is the way to success. And my take on what you said there was it really challenged that perspective and I don't know if that's what you meant when you said that but I want to just get some clarity around what you meant by that comment that statement so for me the comment came from a place of where I grew up and how I grew up those were my three options out rapper athlete drug dealer that was just what was around me those were my avenues those were my my what I thought your only way out of here are one of those three options no one told me about the fourth option, business, entrepreneurship. I mean, if you would have said entrepreneur to me when I was 15 years old, I would have thought you were speaking a foreign language. So why I put those three on the book is I wanted all of those people to understand from those lower economic communities. And, and let, me, let me push in there as well. Lower economic communities, when you say that, especially here in America, people immediately go to and think Latino, Mexican, Black, they think minority communities. But here in the States, there, it is factually proven, there are more white people on welfare than there are minorities. So when I say low economic communities, I want to be sure that I, I explain I mean for all of those individuals, because broke does not know a color. Hunger does not know a color or a race. So for me, those three avenues, that's all I had. No one told me about the fourth option, which was business. No one said you can be a financial advisor. No one said you could be a pharmaceutical rep. You can be an entrepreneur. So it was very important to me for those individuals in the communities that I come from see and understand there are other options out there. Just, just, uh, Tope's going to jump in, but I just want to talk, just talk about that. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast a couple months ago. I'm from the Bay Area and it was talking about how in the Bay Area, you have the Silicon Valley and then right across the pond, you have some of the most prolific ghettos in Oakland. And whilst there's so much wealth in the Bay Area, you know, it's a funny environment where you've got also a lot of poverty around the Silicon Valley. And they were talking about trying to introduce uh, the lower socioeconomic community of Oakland to the tech space. So that meant getting kids involved in the tech space very young because as you said, ultimately there's many more options and viable options to success rather than being a rapper or a basketball player, or football player, or even a drug dealer, right? To totally, and, and so much of it is possibility. I, I've been asked countless times, you know, JT, it, why 
why do you feel a need to give back or, or want to mentor high-risk youth? And it's because I want them to know what possibilities are out there. You don't know what you don't know. In many ways, I don't care if you have a master's degree and you're highly educated. If you don't know how to launch a rocket, you don't know how to launch a rocket. If you don't know how to invest in a 401k, you don't know how to invest in a 401k. Unfortunately, going all the way down to the lower economic communities, there's a lot they don't know. So they don't know that, oh my gosh, all these other options are actually out there that I can be successful in. So yeah, it's important for me and that's why I led with, I'm not a rapper, I'm not a drug dealer, I'm not an athlete because those were my three avenues out. And, and what was bad is I sucked at all three. <laughs> <laughs> Touching on that JT with, um, I guess being, if it being like a rapper and entrepreneur that is like an identity, it's like tied with that. Um, what that kind of leads me into is the a blog you recently put out about like um, why people, everyone might not like you. I think it's called. Yeah. Um, some people won't like you. Um, I can relate to that on a pretty deep level, and you guys um, were part of writing my book. Um, a, a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about has been stemmed from people pleasing. It's like gone stuff from my childhood. Um, all sorts of abuse there, whether it's, uh, there was like sexual abuse, it was physical abuse, definitely emotional abuse to myself. And all that was encapsulating to myself. So if someone were to say no to me or disagree with something, there was like this, this trauma that they would abuse me in several ways that would go through my mind. Now I've learned to say no, but I'm, what has helped me move forward to avoid any people pleasing or to put it at a minimum is to have like a pretty strong self-care regimen. What I'm curious to know, like what do you do every day to maintain self-care? Yeah. So I, I'm going to own it. I, I'm big on, well, one to go to the, 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 the blog post you talked about. Yeah. Everyone's not going to like you. And, and I personally felt like one of the gifts that I was given as, as an eight-year-old child was, it became very apparent because I was mixed race, I'm half white, half black, it became very apparent, everyone's not gonna like me. And that was one of the greatest gifts I received because I learned at that moment, oh, okay, well, just accept it and move on because you're not gonna be able to make everybody happy. And that was such a, a great gift for me. As far as personal care, you know, I'm big on sharing my mistakes. You, you can go to blog posts, LinkedIn, all these different places, and everyone's always sharing top five things Jeff Bezos does, top 10 things Steve Jobs did to be successful. Damn it, where's the mistake list? I, I want that <laughs> list. You know, we, we're, we have the audacity as a society to say you learn the most through, we learn the most through our mistakes but nobody's sharing the damn mistakes. So I'm big on sharing my mistakes over my 25 year plus business career. What, what have I had successful? What have I, uh, what mistakes have I made? I'm big on teaching through, through my mistakes. So to your point, man, I struggle. One of, one of my big struggles personally is I love to eat crap food, man. I'll own it. I love McDonald's. Like All these people, it's funny. People will say, oh, McDonald's is so gross. Well, then how do they serve so much food? How, how are they the biggest restaurant? Who's eating it? You know, so I'll admit it. I love McDonald's. I love crappy food. So when you say self-care, I'm literally in the middle of right now um, getting down to 210 pounds. I've so many times... I've been able to be completely fit, in shape, ripped up, leaned out, but I always did it for the appearance factor. I never did it for health. So right now, my goal, 47 years old, man, I've never done this, is to get down to 210 pounds and maintain it and have a healthy lifestyle. Again, man, I'm 47. I got five kids. I got to be around for a while. So, you know, I, I share this because when you say self-care, 
this is one of the areas that I'm still developing my personal journey on in, in understanding how do I eat health, how do I develop healthy habits? And maybe every Sunday I can have a treat meal or something that I want. I've never been there in, in my life. So that's something that I'm working on right now. And then also, I'd say within the last year, um, sleeping more and, and getting at least six hours of sleep. Um, for me, man, I, it, it's, it's a negative that was a positive. If, if this, hear me out here. I was able to achieve success on three to four hours of sleep a day. And because of that, I convinced myself that, oh, I can sleep when I die. You know, oh, I don't need, you know, six hours of sleep, seven hours of sleep. I, I can go all three or four. And I did it in the, in the, the bad thing was I achieved success doing it. Mm. So I convinced myself mm. that it was real. Mm. Tucker, our, our co-founder, pushed me hard for two years. Man, you got to sleep more. You got to sleep more. The company depends on you. You got to sleep more. So finally, I agreed. Okay, I'm going to try to sleep six hours. And I remember the first time I slept for five hours, man, I woke up in a panic because I felt like, oh, shit, everybody else is working. They're ahead of me. I'm behind. I got, I got to work even faster and harder now. And then I got to six hours. So right now I'm at about six hours and that seems to be a good spot for me. I feel, I feel better. I'm not panicked when I get up. So it's, it's, that's worked out well for me. So to, to your point, man, Hey, I, I still struggle. I know there's all these podcasts and blog posts and everything else that talks about how I did, you know, went from lowest paid to president of a software company and now I'm CEO. And then I've got the, the chaotic background, but man, I still struggle. Hmm. Oh, that's awesome. I, I've got a question more around your, uh, your book title. JT, like you, you, so I got there. What is there to you? You know, it, it took us a while to come up with that, myself and Tucker. And I got to give a lot of credit to Tucker. Tucker sat down with me and he said, man, where are you still trying to get to? And I go, what do you mean? He said, okay, you've got a, a wonderful wife. You've got children. You live in a gated community. You've got a ton of money where are you going? And he said, you got there. And, and, and I said, where's there? And that's how we came up on the title. I got there. So by definition for me as a kid, what I have around me now was the definition of success. I, I've been completely fortunate and, and blessed again wonderful wife took me 40 years to finally get my act together to be able to hold a relationship wonderful wife healthy children great career financially successful beautiful home man i i am blessed 50 times over so the title came from that you know i mentioned earlier you know i opened the curtains and there's a pond in the backyard uh, outside my house that's incredible to me, man. There was no pond growing up behind me. So it's, that's where I got to. I got there. And, and here where I am is there in, in, as it relates to the title of that book. That's it. No, I got it. I, yeah, it's awesome. I get I, Cause I'm, I'm, um, I, it's such a paradox, isn't it? Because everything we, everything that kind of society teaches us is, is to, you know, once, or, or I guess through my own experience, I've always thought that, okay, when I've got this amount of money, I'll be happy. Or when I've got, you know, when I've achieved this amount of sales in my business, I've got, or when my business is at this level, that's, that's when I've got it. And it's, um, you know, I had this chat with, with my director the other day and he's like, Zach, can I tell you? Like his biggest thing was when I've got no debt, when I pay off my mortgage, you know, that, that's when I was successful. And um, he said, mate, I did it. And, and I don't know what I was like. I thought there was going to be a marching band come out and, you know, <laughs> because none of, none of it happened. Right. Like, and I was still the same. And, and that's why I was curious because um, it, it's, I, I, I knew where you were going, but yeah, it's, mate, it's phenomenal. And, and especially, you know, I guess uh, 
learning a little bit about kind of what what your past was like man it was yeah hats off to you it's awesome. i'll share this with you as well man for for me um gratitude is huge in my life i i'm always one that will will appreciate what i have every morning i get up i i pray it's the first thing that i do is i give thanks for for where i am what i've come from every night before i go to bed i it could be raining outside it could be 20 degrees outside i go outside and i look at my house because i'm thankful i i would have never as a kid i would have never told you I would live in the house I live in. I'd have the family that I have. Hell, I never thought that I was going to make it past 25. So to, to your point, and I, I want to be real clear when I say this, I, I have got there, but I want to be like Warren Buffett. I want to be like 88 years old, still out there doing it. I love what I do. I love working. It's a big part of what I do, what I enjoy. So I don't ever see myself retiring. I, I love it. And that's, so I got there for my family and happiness and success and as it was defined by, by me, but there's still so much to do, so much to give back, so much to achieve, help others. Um, so yeah, I got there, but I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still going there. JT, I really connect with, your drivers, I feel. And I feel like when you speak, a lot of what you're not saying actually speaks to me. And I wanna ask you a question because uh, I also too went through a stage where, and a lot of it was probably negative modeling by my mentor who was actually on the show last week. He never slept and sent emails like ridiculous hours. And so I, we thought that was what success looked like. And, and it, you know, you just outwork everyone. And then <laughs> created my identity on that because people were like, fuck, wow, you work so, and it was like a new identity other than being, you know, the piece of shit I thought I was. And so when you tie your identity up with what you do, it's a powerful thing, but it also is a double-edged sword. And I think we all know about that. And I want to ask you a question. I do a lot of work, a spiritual work, I guess you can call it, but I still wake up in the morning in panic and anxiety about what have I missed? What do I got to do? And I, I kind of throw myself in the day and I got to pull myself back. And I would still say that I'm extremely driven by fear of losing what I have, fear of someone coming and taking it, or just a general profound sense of fear. and. I somehow feel that I learned to weaponize that fear to drive success. I want to know how and what your relationship is with fear, because I would make the assumption and I'm putting myself out there that you also too have learned to weaponize your own fear, but I want to know how you manage it. And has there been any negative fallout from leveraging maybe negative forces like fear in your life? Uh, to totally. I, there, there's been some uh, big backlash. One of the biggest things for me was chasing perfectionism. I mean, we all know there's no such thing as perfect. And I, I used to even make this statement. Someone would say to me, JT, there's no such thing as perfect. And I would, I would make the, the, I would respond this way. I may never touch perfect, but damn it, I'm going to get close enough to smell it. And so it, it's, I would weaponize fear. I still to this day weaponize um, negative experiences from my background. You know, if I'm at the gym and I got to go an extra two minutes on the Stairmaster and it's kicking my ass, mm. I will say to myself, okay, you got through being sexually molested as a child. Boom, let's do that, that, that last two minutes. Mm. Um, there, there are times when fear will creep up. My, my little girl, she, my, my five-year-old, she goes, Daddy, what are you afraid of? And I've tried to catch myself to not say this anymore. But I used to say to her, she goes, Daddy, what are you afraid of? I'm afraid of being broke. And I, 
you know, I want to pull back because then I'm putting a big emphasis on money and money is not always success and not always happiness. That's not how everyone defines it. So I don't want to be the defining the person who defines success for her by way of money. For me, it was a big driver for success because I didn't have it. And so I, I've pulled back from that, even to the point she used to ask me, she goes, daddy, what are you allergic to? I'm allergic to being broke. Um, and so it's, it, all of those things were really fear-based of not wanting to go back to the places that I came from. Double up for me because I grew up broke then I made a million dollars, went broke again. And so there, there's a healthy fear that, okay, I'm never going back to that. Fortunately, you know, everything has been structured and, and it's sound now financially. So I, I won't go back to that. But yeah, I've, I've definitely operated out of fear and fear has had some, some negative uh, influences on, on, on my life in, in certain ways. Yeah. With um, your interview with uh, Mark Metry, JT, you mentioned in there you went pretty deep with a certain story um, about your dad and a prostitute and what they, she made you do. Um, it kind of reminds me of just before when you're talking about how at now you are able to have a really sustainable relationship um, at 40, kind of got your shit together and all that it's because you are able to have a, a relationship with yourself. So what, what do you feel was the biggest thing that you carried from your childhood as an insecurity that was projecting on every facet of life that you were able to finally head on and process properly so you can have that proper relationship with your partner and yourself? So what was that toughest insecurity that you had overcome that you carried on that you were unaware of? The biggest, it, it wasn't one it was the fact that I had created JT McCormick. You all know my, my real name's Javon. I had created JT McCormick because I wanted you so far away from who Javon was, where he yeah. came from, what he went through, that the big, one of the big bridges that helped me have a healthy relationship is my wife got to know who I am. In, in all of me, the good, the bad, the ugly, the things I've went through, the things I've done. And so before that, a few relationships knew a few sprinkles and crumbs here and there, what I wanted you to know, how I wanted you to know it. And, but my wife is the only person who's ever known me inside and out you know, the, the good, the bad, the ugly. So I held a lot of pieces, man. There wasn't one insecurity that I kept. It was the fact that, you know, I didn't want people to know my, my father was a pimp. Who's going to want to date that guy? You know, who, I didn't want you to know that he had 23 children or I didn't know where my last name come, comes from, that I, I don't have a college degree. And oh, by the way, I was in juvenile three different times and I got sexually molested by one of my dad's prostitutes. Hey, you want to hire me and do you want to date me? You know, I didn't want people to, to, to know those things. And that was, I was chasing money because I saw that money could change the outer, the facade, the clothes, the watches, the shoes, the cars, it could change all of that. But who you are on the inside is still who you are. And the the groundbreaking come to God moment with me is when I lost all that money, I literally had to stand in front of the mirror and have a conversation with myself and say, okay, you made all the money, but you still had a horrible character. You, you treated women horribly. You couldn't hold a relationship. You know, I don't have many regrets in life, but I got a lot of remorse on how I was in relationships. And I just could not hold a relationship. I was crappy. I was a monster. And so when I lost all the money, I asked myself, okay, who do you want to be? What do you want your character to be defined now? Because the money's gone, but your character is still here. And you're still a horrible person. So where do you want to be going forward? And that was a big turning point for me. Mm. It's that moment of like just processing the character thing because it's such a... Um such a beautiful thing mate because i think um you know I, I see it now like in kind of you know the 20 year olds of society like so 
so concerned about the Instagram and the Facebook and what color shoes they've got, what brand they've got. And I guess like I'm sort of, I was there, like I was 100% that person trying to keep up with the Joneses. So much insecurity about what people thought of me. And, and I carried that from a very young age. And I guess my, um, that, that, that get, I got to a point where, and it only probably happened about 12 months ago that none of it actually fucking matters. Like, no. it, it, it really doesn't. And you touched on it before around the, you know, I, I was, I was someone that was so concerned about, you know, the watch I wanted to wear or the, you know, the shoes, like the, the, the brand, like, and I'm curious, like, what do you think changed? Like, what was the shift if, if there was a pivotal moment that helped you realise that that, that that actually doesn't make a difference? Man, it, it's, uh, again, I, I'm often asked, pe- people always ask this question to me. I get this question a lot. What's the one thing? Man, there's been so much shit going that happened in my life. I don't have one thing or, or one moment. If I boiled it down to that one moment of when the shift was my character, it was, like I said, when I lost the money and I was in that small apartment by myself, cars were gone, money was gone, watch was gone. And I, and, and I remember going to the gas station at 10 o'clock at night and I had $10 in quarters in my hand. And I went into the attendant and I said, could I have $10 on number seven? And I put all my quarters on the counter. And I remember walking back to the car, man, just like I'm walking right now. And I remember thinking to myself, my God, how did I get back to this place again? And saying to myself, okay, I was broke once. I got out of that. I'll get out of this again. But it came down to my character. To your point of where did I realize it doesn't matter in so many ways, I go back again to when I was eight years old and that lady spit in my mother's face in the welfare line and, and called her a nigger lover. And I realized that everyone was never going to like me. You know, there were black people that didn't like me because I was half white, white people that don't like me because I'm, I'm half black. Even to this day, I've got white people who don't like me because I'm half black uh, and black people who will call me Uncle Tom and sell out because oh, I speak correctly. So I, I've dealt with those things so much through, through my life that I boiled the things down to three things that I care about. Am I kind and respectful to everyone? Do I have an impeccable work ethic? And do I dress nice? Now that last one, that's for me, because I do feel that for me, I dress nice, I feel nice, I work nice, I, I, I deliver nice. So the, the way I dress is a representation for me. I don't really give a damn if someone likes my shirt or not. I like my shirt, so I'm going to wear my shirt. So dressing nice for me is for me, not for someone else. I don't get my suits tailored because someone else is going to like it. I get them tailored because I like it. So those are the three things of, of how I live my life. JT, and I, 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 a lot of your story reminds me of David Goggin's story, actually. And I think he's from the Midwest too. And I think his approach to shifting who he was, like he created this character, Goggins. You created JT. And I think his approach was through uh, physical feats and your approach was via business. But I think there's a lot of similarities there in, in regards to kind of using an avenue to morph into who you want to become. And I think that's very powerful in the sense that we are not bound by act, you know, uh, experiences or past. We can make a decision to grow and become who we want to become. And I think you embody that. And I think yeah, it's, it's, it's a phenomenal story. It's a, a very inspiring story. And one of the things that I wanted to touch on was in Mark Matry's um, podcast, you talked about how you've been able to leverage or, or weaponize your negative experiences in a manner which Really, I think what it comes down to is you know how to suffer. You know what suffering looks like, 
And therefore, when you're in it and you're in the hurt locker, you're like, okay, I know this place. And I think when you can do that, that's a competitive advantage. What I want to get to, though, is not everyone really knows how to connect the dots on that. How did you connect the dots on that? That, okay, I've been through shit, therefore I can leverage that shit. Does that make sense? It, it, it totally makes sense. As a matter of fact, it's, it's a question that I'm asked often. Yeah. And especially if I speak somewhere, people will come up and say, oh my God, JT, you know, love the story. I, you know, I don't, I don't have your story. And I always say, pause right there. Everyone doesn't have my story. I don't have your story. So everyone has a story. And just like my mother said, everyone has a story. So don't judge because you don't know their story. And why that's important and where I'm going with this is when you sit back and people say, where do you dig deep to find that motivation? Where do you go and you understand that, that you're going to use that towards, you know, pushing you through? Here's what people have to do. I have a ton of things that I can go back in, in my Rolodex, in, in, in my, my case of suffering, if you will, and find, oh, okay, I need to do two more minutes on the Stairmaster. I'm going to think about the time where uh, I got left with my half-brothers and sisters. Boom, I, I pushed through. But here's the thing. Not everyone has that. And so here's what I express to people. I, too, will borrow some other story and use that towards inspiration to pushing me through. And I'm going to give you three that, that I use all the time. Mm -hmm. One, I've never had to stand on the banks of Syria with, with my wife and children and had to consider getting on a blow up raft to, to cross the Mediterranean sea, to, to escape the, the country. And, and all we have are the clothes on our back and we're, we have to literally pray that we're going to make it across. And there's a high probability that we won't. I've never faced that. But I can tell you this, I use that moment at times when I'm faced with a challenge or something. I go, okay, wait a minute. Let's keep it in perspective. I'm not about to get on a blow up raft. So, and then here in Texas, right now, there's people walking 1,100 miles uh, up through Mexico from South America, trying to cross the border from Mexico into Texas. And, and they've got their two, three year old kids and they're trying to get into this country. I've never had to face that, but I take my mindset there and I think, wow, okay. They're just trying to get into the country for an opportunity. I'm already here. My problems are so small when I start putting them in comparison. And then my last one that I use, I've never had cancer. I don't know what it's like to be stuck in a bed with cancer that you can't even get out of the bed on your own two feet to go use the restroom, let alone leave the hospital. So I've never faced those things. Oh, but damn it. I keep it in perspective and I use those things to inspire myself and say, okay, get your mind right because life's not that hard and what you're facing isn't that bad. So I always express to people, just because I have this, this truckload of things that I personally went through that I can always dip back into, we all have to look around and keep things in perspective because there's a lot going on in the world where people are facing real challenges. So when I look at an income statement, a balance sheet, growth, scale, how, how are we going to grow the company? Oh, man, that, those things become very easy to look at. Just on that, uh, Tope, before you jump in, the... Tof and I were listening to a podcast the other day with Rich Roll and Tom Bilyeu. And I had actually never listened to Tom Bilyeu, but one of the phenomenal things about him is he admitted that there was no trauma that actually happened in his life that enabled him to gain this level of awareness that he has. So Rich obviously was an alcoholic, transformed himself, most of us that walk this path have gone through some personal turmoil. But one of the remarkable things about Tom is he's leveraged different information and wisdom proactively without having to suffer himself. Right. So that really connects to what you're saying because that kind of blew my mind because I was of the mindset that you had to go through pain to seek solutions. 
Yeah. And he admittedly said that wasn't the case for him, which was quite extraordinary. You know, it's interesting. I don't say this for everyone, and, and you all know, Scribe, we're, we're fortunate. We were blessed. We, we published David Goggins' book. Hell of a guy. Uh, great to, to speak with. He's the same person off camera as, as he is on the phone. So uh, we're fortunate to, to do his book. I always joke with him as well. I say, hey, man, I'm older than you, so I was suffering a lot longer. Um, but it's, I, I do believe that for individuals who may not have those stories, it's perspective. You have to want to take yourself and understand what's even if it's suffering that you haven't gone through you need to open your eyes and look what other people are are suffering and going through and really put your life in perspective and say to yourself oh man i got a roof over my head i'm not homeless i i'm i'm healthy maybe i'm tight on money right now but man i'm not in the hospital so it's up to each individual to want to take themselves and, and look at someone else's suffering and, and put things in perspective for themselves. Damn, dude. I love the person you are, man. <laughs> I appreciate it, Tom. Thank you, man. Um, I just resonate, especially with your understanding on perspective. Exact same, especially the cancer stuff. Um, I did a full year of like endurance events for cancer research. Um, I've never had cancer, but I've had families been affected. Um, exact is exactly what you said i was like yep i can relate to that um what i've noticed um and collaborating with like neuroscience uh, neurobiologists and psychologists that level of perspective is a convergence between adversity and gratitude so everything you're saying all lines and with like i've been fortunate to not only have worked with scribe but to have met you and tucker and zach and taryn and the team in the office last year this time last year actually um and that was awesome uh what i've noticed with successful companies is with the exceptional leadership and how that trickles down into the foundation of the company how that trickles down into the employees to create an incredible culture so that it's like a family at work because we're with um we're with everyone that we work with probably more than with our loved ones right so what for any like i guess leaders that are listening to this chapter right now or any c-suite executives what is something that you can tell them that they can take on so they embody a great culture at their workplace number one i would say if you are going to grow as a company, never ever say your culture won't change. You hear so many companies who say, our culture is never gonna change. Well, if you're a 10 person company and you plan to always stay a 10 person company, yes, you're correct. You could keep the same culture, but if you wanna grow and you're gonna go from 10 people to 50 people to to 100 people, your culture is going to change. The question is, is it going to continue to grow, enhance, uh, be more powerful, or is it going to crack and, and go by the wayside? So embrace the fact that if you're going to grow, your culture will change. Then number two, I would say no one person owns culture. If one person owns it, no one owns it. Because mm. culture has to be the entire tribe, the entire company. Everyone has to abide by the culture and uphold the principles and the values. If, if that's one person's responsibility, then you don't have a culture. They do, but you, the, the rest of everyone else does not. And then the, the last thing that I would say when it comes to culture, people have to understand that culture is comprised of, of many different pieces. It's what you say how you say it, what you do on any given day. You know, we, we, in our principles, if you look at some of this, it's we before me, it's we all eat the same dirt. Um, <laughs> you know, we have a culture of, of learning, results, people. So our, our principles and values are very specific. We use Slack as a tool. When we, when we receive information back from an author and they're like, oh, it was such a great experience and, and so-and-so did such a great job, we, say, we share that feedback on our celebrations channel. But when we share the feedback, it has to be tied 
to a principle and a value. So that's how you keep them top of mind. And it's not something you just throw up on the wall. There it is. And, oh, yeah, we've got our set of uh, values and principles. No, it's got to be constant. You've got to call people out. Leadership's got to be called out for it if they're not living the, the, the culture. So it, those are the three main things that I, I would say to anyone who's interested in culture. Hmm. Hmm. Phenomenal. It's, it's, uh, I'm sitting there nodding the whole time because um, I can tell without knowing much about your business, you lead from the front and, and, and you're vulnerable enough to have the person that's been here two days call you out on not being aligned with values. And I think that's probably one of the most um, important, uh, I guess, um, to create that safe environment that people can feel free to be able to call people out because ultimately you're holding each other accountable. Um, my question is kind of on the leadership um, topic. Like when you were going through all of this, did you have mentors or did you have leaders that kind of helped you shape you to who you are? And if so, who were they? And I, I am a, you know, let me, let me touch on the culture piece real fast again, cause you, cause you nailed it. One of the, when I say it's comprised of a bunch of little things here, here's a, a very powerful one. When I hear people say they work for me, I, I immediately correct them. No one works for me. People work with me. We all work with one another. No one works for me. You will never hear me say my employees, my team. I don't own anybody. No, this is our team. This is our tribe. This is our company. And, and I'm very uh, specific. Even if you go to our website, go look at it. And some people may think this is just, oh, well, JT is such a small thing. Again, it's a lot of little pieces that add up to what we do. If you go to our website right now and you're looking for me, if you go to most company websites and you're looking for the CEO or the leaders, whatever, they're always at the top of the page, CEO, whatever. I'm at the bottom and I'm there intentionally because my opinion, if you're a CEO, your role is to serve and support the organization. So I'm at the bottom of the page because I'm in service of and supporting all the people who are above me on that web page. And in fact, if you're looking for me, I want you to have to see all the people who are actually doing the work long before you get down to me. So it's a lot of little things that add up that make the culture. Uh, last piece I'll share here again, because these are very very critical things that make up a culture. Um, I kept hearing for about two months straight, people kept referring to low-level tasks. Well, that's a low-level duty. That's a low-level task. And I heard it in like three different departments. And then finally I said, okay, hold on, time the F out. What are these low-level duties and tasks you all are speaking of? I go, because you all have seen me take out the trash. You've seen <laughs> storage closet. So what are these low level tasks? And I said, okay, first of all, stop saying that because there are no low level tasks. There are only tasks, duties, and responsibility. That's it. Now one could argue, JT, well, that's not the best use of your time to clean the storage closet. Okay. That's a different argument, but you're never going to call that low level in our company because it's not below me. I'll take out the trash. I'll scrub a floor. I'll clean a whiteboard. When I walk out of the bathroom, if there's a paper towel on the floor, I'll pick it up. Those are all critical culture pieces that build the culture that embrace and people understand, okay, we're in this together. No one works for me. People work with me. JT, you're super impressive, awesome, man. man. Uh, it, I, mean, I appreciate I, that, man. I, I just think that, you know, talking to you, makes me realize that all the adversity that a lot of us have gone through really young and all the pain and suffering is kind of worth it in a way because it can be really leveraged to become a strength and that's ultimately what i get from you just kind of hearing you looking up to you as somebody that i feel sets an example of the type of leader and type of business person I would like to become. 
And I don't say that lightly to a lot of people. I think it's just been a real, real inspiring conversation. And I think I'll, I'll, I'll start to wrap it up here, but there's a couple things that we'd like to do. One, just we want to acknowledge you as a group for your level of vulnerability, honesty, and just being real and just being you. So thank you, honestly, from the bottom of my heart and obviously from our team. The other thing that we would like to ask you is we started the Next Gen Movement with the intention of we're in Australia. And within the Australian um, community is the Aboriginal community, the, the original community of Australia. And they passed down their information through oral traditions. You know, where do you go to get water? How do you not get bit by a snake and all that kind of stuff? And we really wanted to use that form of storytelling and engagement to share wisdom through the technolo technological channels, right? And, 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 and information from you that a person may never get because they may never have access to you can now be shared to all the young millennials and, and, and even, you know, uh, people that aren't millennials. And what we'd like to ask you is if there was one piece of game-changing advice that you could leave with our listeners at the Next Gen Movement, what would that advice be? Okay, so I'm well. First, man, first and foremost, it incredibly humbled and, and flattered by the, the the kind words, RJ. Man, I I pride myself on just being a guy who worked hard, created every opportunity I possibly could for myself. I, I'm very. I say this with respect, but I do mean it with, with every ounce of my being. You hear people say many times someone gave them an opportunity. Oh, well, they gave me an opportunity. Man, no one ever gave me shit. If, if you hired me, you hired me because you had a need and, and you hired me to fill that need because I could have easily sucked and you would have fired me. But I created an opportunity for myself based on the fact that you were willing to hire me. Mm -hmm. So I, I pride myself on just being someone who was always willing to create opportunity for myself and, and by any means necessary. And, and again, man, I've, I've made a ton of mistakes in relationships. My uh, first time as a president of a software company, good God, I've made a ton of mistakes, man. But uh, I, I would say something that's very impactful that I would leave is we live in a society where the phrase fell fast has become popular. And I personally despise that phrase because I've spent my whole life trying to learn faster. And I truly believe you only fail if you stop trying. So I got a lot of failed relationships because we broke up. We're not together anymore. But as a first time president, I made a lot of mistakes, but I didn't stop trying to get better. And, and I learned and I taught myself. And to go back to Zach's question about leadership and mentors, man, I'm a student of business. I want to study anything and everything I can get my hands on about a company. Why did they make that decision? Why did they go down that path? And, and again, I look to study a company's mistakes. You know, why the hell didn't Blockbuster sell to Netflix? You know, why, why did Sears go, go under when they were the original Amazon? You know, why is JCPenney still struggling? So I, I love to study business, leadership, decision-making, growth. I like to go back and study the old, the JP Morgans, the, the Rockefellers, the Fours. What did they do? What did they see? What were they paying attention to? What were the decisions they, they made? Um, and then to your point, Zach, one of my favorite books, if not my favorite book of all time, was definitely the most influential, uh, Think and Grow Rich. There were so many things that I read in there that it gave me belief. I was very fortunate to um, read that book in my 20s, and it, it put such an imprint on me on, you know, did Thomas Edison took over 10,000 times to discover, the to invent the light bulb. Did he fail 10,000 times, or did he find 10,000 ways that didn't work? So my mindset became, ah, is the glass half full or is it half empty? I choose to look at it as half full all the time. The last piece that I would share, RJ, is there's three words that I've eliminated from my vocabulary that you will never hear come out of my mouth. Hope, wish, 
in luck. I believe, in, in, in I will never hope, and, and I challenged a, a, a pastor one time on this. I said, does God want me to believe in him or does he want me to hope there's a God? <laughs> and, 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 and he looked at me and thought, oh, wow. And so I, I believe, see, because you can hope and hope doesn't cause execution. I can sit back and say, oh, I hope I have a house one day. Well, if you're not doing anything about it, you can hope all day. And I'll be the first to tell you, when I was a kid and I was in school and I hoped there was something to eat when I got home, it never produced anything. So that's where I eliminated hope. Wish, again, oh, I wish I was in shape. Well, if you don't go to the gym, you never will be. If you don't eat right, you never will be. So I don't look at wish either because there were times where I wished I opened the refrigerator door and there was something to eat. It never produced anything. And then luck, well, here's my thing to that. You hear a lot of people like it, the, the lottery winner wins a uh, $500 million. Oh, they're so lucky. No, they're not. They bought a ticket. <laughs> there you have it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a great answer. Hey, Jake, um, before we go, um, you're an incredible person and you have incredible insights. Um, where can people find you or like what plugs would you like to give out to our community so people can find more about more stuff about what you're about? And you guys know where to find me. You know, I'm, uh, I, I do my best to post my, my thoughts on, on LinkedIn and, share my mistakes. And so, yeah, LinkedIn's the easiest place to find me. Uh, scribemedia.com, that, that's our website. You can find us there. And I, I say this to everyone, if you email me personally, I do respond to all my emails. Not always very fast, but I do respond to all, all my emails. And my, my email is jt at scribemedia.com. Incredible. Thank you so much, JT. Really appreciate it, man. Oh man, this this was great, and and I, I sincerely mean this, guys. Very humbling and, and flattering. I still sit here with a smile on my face, and the, you guys had some incredibly kind words, and, and I appreciate it because I, I pride myself, man. I'm just a guy who worked hard and always wants to get better, keep learning, and you know, to the end of I, till I die, I will never stop trying to be the best husband, father, leader, person, and man I can be. Respect. Thanks, JT. Appreciate Thanks, guys. it. Thanks, guys. You have a Thank great you. evening, man. <laughs> Take See care. See you guys. Bye. See you, man.